Hello, what is up, and welcome to Off the Books, where we're surfing the uncharted waters of accounting, of finance, and wherever else those waves take us. This episode is brought to you by Workiva, the number one platform for accounting, for risk, for compliance, and so many other fun things if you have a weird definition of fun. Go check it out, workiva.com slash podcast. You are tuning in to the second half of our conversation about Cecil with Heather Markheim, Chris Albella, and Steve Soder, and I guess myself too, but you probably tune into an accounting podcast to hear from actual accountants, not from someone whose brain is a Pringles can full of Legos. If you missed that one, check that one out first for all the banky goodness. If you're all caught up, I don't want to stand in your way. Off to the races. Here we go. So recapping a little bit about what we talked about in the first part of the conversation, you know, it sounds like the Achilles heel of Cecil was really found before it even came into existence. Like it found a perfect way to implode upon itself. Would you see that to be kind of the case? It's almost like someone predicted it, ironically, right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's, you know, it's, it is as you look at, the purpose of it and what it was, the spirit of what it was trying to do, right? To make organizations, to make banks be able to refine their models, to be able to identify and plan for these types of events. And then the really, I want to say the first shock to the system, if you will, you know, here we are, right, Chris, that it's going back, it's looking at the models and it's, it's going to make the process better and we're going to learn from it. But it's still we're in the thick of it right now. And we will be for the foreseeable future, at least in my opinion. You know, 2021 is going to be an interesting year for banks to learn. Yeah. So that's kind of the million dollar question here in my mind. Where do we go from here? And I guess on top of that, does a new administration impact anything? So, you know, the stock market would tell you yes, uh, as, of, <laughs> as of recent times. I mean, you know, ultimately... You know, you if you know now in today's world, from where we first talked about the the podcast, you know, it's it things are vastly different. You've got a a fairly unified uh, congressional arm, uh, a soon to be executive arm, and so the opportunity to have uh, a little bit faster reaction to the events that go on in the market is is easier now. There's less friction because there could be less debates. You know, thinking back to the last six months, there's been a lot of back and forth about stalled packages. So beyond the CARES Act, you know, they've tried to do other stimulus um, efforts, but they've they've either got uh, pork barreled away or negotiated away or just delayed for, for some reason. But now with a unified government, you know, if there is discussion along those lines, things can move a lot faster. So it is a positive uh, from that perspective. But that said, you know, you know, I agree with Heather's that, you know, 2021 is still, I don't think, going to be a normal year. Just looking at the rollouts for vaccines. I mean, we're on pace where it's going to take a full year if they are lucky to get the population their first dose, let alone the booster shots that seem to be required. And then there's there's always the question about folks that don't want vaccines versus do and how much how much percentage do you need to get that, you know, quote unquote, herd immunity to kick in where folks just don't want to get it, they won't get it. And so 2021 will still not be a normal year from the economic perspective, but the prospects are better because there should theoretically be more of a singular voice in terms of direction. And you just hope that that voice is supportive of the economy 
versus versus not because it could work the other way as well. But you know, all of the you know the rhetoric coming out from from all the politicians, it seems to be supportive. They are already talking about an additional two thousand dollar stimulus. Um, I'm sorry, it's not incremental to the six hundred dollars that was recently put out. It would be fourteen hundred dollars net incremental to get to two thousand. So out of the gate, I am sure that the the Biden administration is first 100 days, which is usually a big, uh, you know, time period for new presidencies. They're going to look to make their mark on what can they do to move the economy forward? What can they do to to address the pandemic? And all of that will cascade down to the CECL impacts for banks. So the first, you know, probably through 2Q, Banks will have a fair amount of volatility in their economic forecast they have come in. So whoever provides those variables, things can change quite a bit from one month to the next as new bills are put out, new updates are put out, you know, new reg- – so the SBA recently has changed their triple P program. So as that information comes out, you know, banks will have to adapt to that and reflect that in their model. So – you might get some stability past 2Q, but for the sure, the next six months we'll have have bankers scrambling to figure out what all of this means to their CECL allowance. But through 2021, it's just the logistics. The, I, I, it's hard to see the economy being normal uh, this year. Yeah, I mean, I so you said the word stability. I'd add the word confidence into it as well, and also confidence instability. <laughs> Right, that's going to be a theme, I think, as an, as a new administration comes in, um, you know, not just with obviously the vaccine rollout, but obviously the the foundations of, of, you know, some of these activities with the banks. But I agree. First half of the year, I, I equate it to kind of being like Mr. Toad's wild ride, right, at Disneyland. Um, and then hopefully towards the, the, the back half as things start to take root and we've got that, that confidence, that stability that we start to see that traction towards the back half of the year. What what lessons do you think we're going to learn about Cecil as a result of all of this? I mean, it seems like, as Drew pointed out, the weakness, or at least one weakness of it, was was highlighted and demonstrated very early. It would seem like this would be an opportunity to go back and maybe not like completely re- revise it, but it seems like there's some lessons to be learned in this. I mean, do you think anything, any changes or anything's going to come out uh, as a result of all this once we kind of get through, uh, you know, all the pandemic stuff and things stabilize? Well, let, I'll, I'll throw one of my, my two cents in and then, Chris, I'll turn over to you. I think the interesting thing with this that I've thought about is really the length of it, right? So a lot of times when we talk about seeing impacts, it's more of like shocks and impacts in a single point in time instead of something being delayed or dragging out, if you will, right? So some of the lessons that will be interesting that are learned is how do you manage these type of requirements, these t- this type of forecasting when it is an elongated right, type of impact versus shocks, and then how does that actually impact how we look at, at models? So that that's my geek quant side coming out, but Albs, you're, you're more on the accounting true number. So what about you? Um, I mean, I would say that what this has shown, and I think people generally understood this, but now to see this is that the the economy isn't going to be materially impacted by purely economic drivers. Mm-mm. Like when you think back, even before COVID, there was a lot of noise in the numbers driven by 
policy that was coming out of the White House, whether it was a good day or a bad day, think about it before there was all the China trade wars, uh, you know, things that were going on there, some other sort of foreign trade policy, you know, discussions about negative rates. Um, so I, I think I think what will be interesting to see how it evolves is how do banks and and any sort of vendors that provide this data, how do they think about political forecasting? How do they think about like societal behavioral within, within their models? Because a lot of the positives or I say the, the, the risk mitigants has been political. The banks and the economy hasn't really done anything on its own. COVID and the response to COVID has been an entirely political and, uh, you know, medical research oriented impact. It has, has had nothing to do with rates, has, has nothing to do the, with the credit cycle. All those are derivatives thereof. And so if you're developing a model going forward, the question is, yeah, GDP, I can plug it in there. No problem. Corporate profits, no problem. How do I think about model through many quarters what Congress is going to do or what president is going to say? I think for well, I don't I can't say fortunately, unfortunately yet, but you would you would suspect that Biden is more traditional than the previous administration. So there should be reduced volatility caused by some of the just the, the different ways of communicating change versus the, the current administration. So I think that will be a help. But it's a fair question is, is this going to be the last pandemic? Is this going to be the last black swan? As a modeler, how do you account for this? The GDPs of the world is easy. But all this other stuff, which has overshadowed and driven the classic variables, what do I do with that? And then just one last component to that is that now, let's say we're in 2022. COVID is now in the rearview mirror. It is part of your history. So models are all history driven. So when you hit 2022 and they're starting to recalibrate the model, I guarantee this is going to happen. A modeler is going to bring in the data from 2019, mm -hmm. 2020, 2021, and then they're going to produce it. And the finance guy is going to be like, well, what, why are you giving me this curve? It makes no sense. Everything is pristine. Well, because I'm showing you all the negatives that we had during COVID. I mean, they weren't in, insanely high, but they were there. But the finance guy might say, well, I don't know if I believe that today. So even into 2022, you're going to have this push and pull between the data, which we're living today, becomes the history of tomorrow, that in tomorrow, these modelers pull in to recalibrate their models. And you, we will still be having this discussion of how much is pure Cecil versus how much do we continue to rely on management judgment? And then guess what? There will be something else. And there's always something else. And there is always a closing question of the day at every episode of Off the Books. So today's closing question of the day. Aside from COVID, a miserable trend, what trend from 2020 do you think should go away? For me, it's vegan meat. I'm not a big fan of vegan meat. Big <laughs> fan of vegans. Love vegans and vegetarians. I don't eat a lot of meat myself, but it's like sugar-free candy. Why bother? You know, just... Lean into the real thing or abstain entirely. Steve, do you have a trend from 2020 that you think should see the dustbin of history? Yes. Yes, I do. And it's the use of the word social distancing. Um, I'm tired of it. I hate it. It's actually improperly worded and um, it needs to die. If we need to stay six feet apart, that's a physical distance. That is not a social distance. Why don't we be socially close to each other and yet physically distance? I love that. Chris, do you have something you hate of 2020? What should go away? 
Um, I mean, the only thing, the, the main thing that really bugged me was honestly just not being able to go out to eat uh, as much as we used to. You know, my wife and I love heading out in town. Portland's such a great foodie town. And I am so tired of to-go orders. By the time I go pick up the food and get home, it is always lukewarm at best. And uh, that, that enrages me. It's not the same. No. Heather, what about you? I miss going to the movie theaters. I miss going out on a Saturday night, that big tub of popcorn and just sitting there and just zoning out and watching whether it's a superhero movie, <laughs> but just being able to, to sit there and, and watch something for a couple of hours. And I'm assuming, Heather, you're drinking a Diet Coke whilst you are eating that popcorn. I, well, I, I, I was going to say my other, if, if Drew asked me for two things, actually, other thing that I was going to say should go away is just the trend of flavored water. Too. I just don't get it. I don't get it. It's not the real thing. Yeah. Except no imitations. And listener, except no imitations of Off the Books. I'm Drew Dubner. This has been Off the Books. Please subscribe, leave a review, or tell your buddies if you like the show. Hey, if you want to be on the show, if you want to yell at us, if you want to write love letters to Steve, write us at Off the Books, all one word, at workiva.com. Surf's up, and we'll see you on the next wave.